Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Peter Baudouet. Peter manages strategy and partnerships for an innovative alliance of energy companies committed to reducing environmental impacts through collaborative R&D efforts. Peter worked for more than 20 years in Asia, building and investing in a variety of businesses. His most recent role outside of Canada was with the World Wildlife Fund, where he was the chief executive officer of WWF China, based in Beijing. Prior to that, Peter lived in Hong Kong for 15 years working in the technology industry. And now I'll pass the mic over to Peter and his interview with George Tai. Take it away, Peter. So thanks, Al. As mentioned, my name is Peter Baudouin, and I'll be your host of today's Rainforest podcast. Today's guest is George Tai. George is a partner at Denton's, a law firm here in uh, Calgary. So welcome, George. Oh, thank you very much. So a little bit of background. I I met George at a number of Calgary pitch events. I'd seen him on stage and where he was judging startups, right? He was also, he seemed to be a keen supporter of the innovation ecosystem. Later, I met him at another event and I recognized that he was also a director of the Hong Kong China Business Association, where you guys were looking at companies who were looking at building an opportunity in China and exporting. So when I'd seen some of your background, I recognized that you're a really keen supporter of the, the ecosystem. And I really wanted to bring you in and ask you a few questions about, you know, what startups should consider from a legal perspective when they're actually building their company. So today I really want to focus on that. So thanks, George, for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, to talk with us today. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity, Peter. It's very rare that uh, a lawyer like myself gets a question or gets the opportunity to share some wisdom and knowledge because, quite frankly, I don't know how much of that I have. That's probably a very high bar, but I'll, I'll share what I can. Okay. Okay. Well, on that, well, let's start. Let's talk a little bit of background. Can you tell us a little bit about Dentits and why you guys work within the uh, startup ecosystem? Sure. Dentons is a um, is a global law firm, so we're we're quite large. We're probably one of the world's largest law firms with over ten thousand lawyers in over seventy plus countries. And I think that's an odd way to sort of start off the introduction of how we focus in on Calgary. But let me get to that mm-hmm. because. Yeah. What happens is we got to be this large for a reason. I mean, we're a law firm that prides itself in basically starting from the grassroots up. Although we have global reach, 70 countries, our real focus is in building in the local community. And as you mentioned, that's why I'm involved in things like the Hong Kong Canada Business Association, the China Canada Commercial Association, the uh, accelerator program here in Calgary. We want to become part of this emerging technology community here in Calgary because we feel that we have the expertise to bring out startups globally for the global reach that they want to establish. So in short, we're a business law firm. Anything connected with doing business, whether it's here in Calgary, in Canada, or globally, that's what Denton's covers. So I know that you're involved with some of the, you know, again, you you guys were a sponsor as well. You were a, uh, a judge at some of the local pitch events here. So why, you know, why do you guys, what, what are you doing with the local accelerators? Because it is interesting that such a big firm is really coming down to the local level to, to, to engage. So what are you guys looking to achieve with some of that, that engagement? That, you know, again, this is what we're primarily looking to achieve is we are big believers in trying to establish 
the tech community here in Calgary. Okay. We think it's critical in terms of the where we see the growth coming in Calgary. I mean, it's obvious with the downturn that we've seen and sort of the, the pressures that the oil and gas industry are having. We've got to see where other growth areas are. Yeah. In, in our minds, the technology community here in Calgary is a burgeoning one. It's yeah. something that's really, really exciting. We want to be a part of. And the only way to be part of that is to be involved at the grassroots level, whether it be at these pitch competitions, sponsoring events, or assisting startup companies to start up their companies and making sure that they're properly networked to meet the right people and get off to the right start. Great. Okay. Well, so on that, exactly looking at helping those startups. So I did want to ask you uh, a few questions about some of the sort of the legal mechanics of, of startups. And just to let you know, sort of prepare for this, I talked with a few friends and asked them who are, you know, I said, when you started your business, what were some of the, the things you wish you'd known, right? So so that's where I've sort of got a few of these questions and, and we'll go through some of them. And the first one is really a general one. You know, when you're a small startup and you're really, you really look at the legal issues, it's quite broad, and you know, how the heck am I going to address this? But I wanted to take it down and think about some of the priorities. What should a small company be thinking of? And I'll give you a little bit more premise on there. So if, let's say, B2B company, SaaS technology. I've been working on a project for a few months in my basement. I have a working prototype and I'm not incorporated and I don't have much money. I mean, five, 10,000 in the bank. So what, what should I be thinking of in terms of legal perspective going forward? I think the first and foremost one is don't be scared to talk to a lawyer. Okay. Even though you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, you know what? I got limited resources. I've only got five or $10,000. The last thing I want to do is spend my hard earned money or hard raised money and spend it on a lawyer. Yeah. There are programs out there, not just Denton's, other law firms. There are programs out there to help support you get off to the right start because you're going to put so much blood, sweat, and tears into your startup. The last thing you want to do is say, oh, shoot, I really wish I had to talk to a lawyer because when you say that, it's probably too late, right? So get in early to talk to a lawyer about how you can protect yourselves from what every other startup company has experienced or will experience because they're very much the same thing. The challenges are very similar. Yeah. Regardless what you do, the challenges they face. Mm -hmm. So there's some really basic things that you want to think about. And I think the big and the foremost one is don't be scared to talk to a lawyer. Okay. All right. And as an example for Dens, we realize it's not the best thing to say to a startup company that we're the world's largest law firm. And, you know, when I'd scare them away. Yeah, it scares them away and saying, oh, you know, last thing I want to do is spend X million dollars. But most of the, many of the law firms, including Dens, Mm -hmm. has special programs that make available to to the startups an ability to tap into that kind of expertise. Okay. Because the irony Mm -hmm. is the experience that you can least afford to buy is the experience that you need yes. the most yeah. to be successful. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that as a firm. And so we're, we try to make ourselves approachable in that regard. Okay. What are you approaching me for? I think what you really need to do in, in giving you the scenario that you gave yeah. is you have to think about how you're going to own and operate your business. And there's three basic ways in law that you can operate a business yeah. legally mm-hmm. as a sole proprietorship, mm-hmm as a corporation or a partnership. And I'm going to tell you for startups, 98% of the people that come to me come to get, come to get incorporated. Okay. Okay. Cause that is, and there's a reason for that. That helps in terms, in terms of liability. It helps in terms of your corporate, your general corporate finance, right. And how you get shareholders to become involved in your company. Yeah. Okay. So the, uh, the, the, the focus as a lawyer is to protect your liability perspective, 
the focus for you as a, as an entrepreneur is to protect your business. Yeah. So there's, there's two reasons why you should go ahead and do that. And really the cost of an incorporation that should be seen as a cost of doing business. You've got to get that going. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the next piece for when entrepreneurs come or startup uh, guys come and chat with me and say, okay, George, you know, I got it. I'm going to set up a company. What are my next steps? What do I got to do in terms of protecting the technology or protecting the business that I want to build? Right. So I typically call that sort of the protect steps that you need to protect your intellectual property. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And what's intellectual property? It's quite a broad definition. Most people just think, oh, it's just patents. Yeah. Right. But there's more to it than that. I mean, the the the, the trilogy is patents, copyrights, and trade secrets. Okay. Those are the things that you have to think about protecting because you're sitting there and I think you're, as using your example, sitting in the basement. Yeah. Working hard. Yeah. Coming up with really creative and innovative ideas. The last thing you want to do is do that, bring it out to the open and somebody just copies it, yeah. you know, or submarines you and takes it away from you. So come and chat with your lawyer about how you properly protect those things. Okay. So that all that effort that you're putting in, you can commercialize it and actually make some money out yeah. of it. Or it's a very new world out there. If it's not just about making money, how you can bring it to the world in a way that reduces or mitigates your own liabilities okay. as well. So it's, there's, a, there's a lot of different things to yeah. think about. Okay. The other thing that we, uh, that I usually talk about is sort of as a start is your people. Yeah. You know, you rarely, and I see in terms of the, the successful startups and the ones that are, are working well, it's pretty rare that it's just one person. One guy or gal sitting in a basement coming up with a great business. Yeah. And it's there's just a founder, there's a team. Yeah, there's yeah. a team, right? So your people is another critical thing that you have to think about in terms of how do you enlist them? How do you keep them incented? And then again, speaking as a lawyer, how do you protect yourself? Because people have two feet and they walk yeah. all the time, yeah. right? So how do you make sure that you're not being put at a disadvantage by training that person or that person has a lot of that intellectual property, know-how, trade secrets, and then walks away yeah. and gives it to somebody else? How do you protect yourself? And again, there's legal mechanisms to help that. It's, yeah. it's not foolproof, but it certainly gives you some protection and some comfort that the investment that you're making amongst your partners and your team members is worthwhile and, and benefits the company as a whole. Okay. So I did want to sort of explore a little bit of that sure. on the intellectual property side, because, and again, on one hand, you hear there's trademarks, branding, protection of your technology and et cetera. But on the other hand, you talk with some people and they say, and again, it's using the term IP broadly. Yeah. Can you really protect yourself from a major player? Yeah. So there's the basics of getting some of the real, you know, making sure you have the protection, but then there's also the, owning your, the physical IP. So I want to come back to sort of my example and go, well, if I'm a SaaS or an app company, how important is IP in terms of the actual technology itself? So I just want to sort of explore that a bit and understand, because some people are saying, well, it's IP in terms of a trade secret. It's not a patent. It's not a, perhaps, perhaps it's a copyright. So just what advice would you give a founder specifically when we talk about that in terms of their technology? The, what they own right now is they've been in the basement and they've got okay. 2000 lines of code. So what yeah. are they going to do there? So, the, and, and the, the examples are really important because mm-hmm. it differs whether you're talking Absolutely. about hardware, mm-hmm. software, and the methodology to protect that intellectual property. But let me take a big step back because, yeah. again, we're talking about the tree, the trilogy, right? The patents, yeah. the copyrights, mm-hmm. and the trademarks. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you that most people that come to me that are, the pocketbook is tight, the budget's very small. Yeah. The last thing they want us to do is patent something. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And that's, they want, sorry, mm-hmm. I apologize. 
you always want to patent it. But the last thing when they want to do is fork out, pick a number of five, 10, 15, $20,000 yeah. for a patent. So the same thing in terms of trademark registration, yeah. right? What does that protect? How are you going to do that? Is it worthwhile for my dollar? How am I going to allocate my dollar? And yeah. quite frankly, most of my clients say, uh, George, that's a little, I can't afford that yet. Yeah. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. Right? So to the extent that we say, okay, on the balance of risks, I'm not going to go get a patent yet, or I'm not going to get this trademark. It's not worthwhile. In a software scenario that yeah. we're talking about, mm -hmm. it's very hard to patent software. Yeah. Very, very difficult. So what you're relying on is what's called copyright law. Yeah. Okay. So you do have that copyright law. So in order to protect yourself, you make sure firstly, before you go out and sell that idea, sell that software, that concept that your application is going to go yeah. with that person, sign up an NDA. Okay. And when I say NDA, that's short form for non-disclosure agreement. It's a different word, a confidentiality yeah. agreement. That at least gives you some foothold to protect what you're sharing with that other party. Okay. So now once you've got that confidentiality agreement signed up, then you can feel free to share with him or her or that company the important elements of what you think is the value add that they want to do. Yeah. All right. And again, I, I tell my clients time and time again, yeah. the confidentiality agreement. Mm -hmm doesn't mean that you have to give them everything. It just means you're, what you've told them is confidential. It doesn't oblige you to tell them everything. Okay. Yeah. And again, so be clever, be smart about it. Only give the information out that you absolutely need to give out, a need-to-know basis, because you're protecting yourself. Sure. Right? And then once the trust comes, and trust does build up, and you, you get a better relationship, you can share more and more. But it doesn't mean you open the kimono right away just yeah. because you have that, that yeah. confidentiality agreement. Okay. So that's something a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. They go, oh, yeah. I signed something. I just gave them everything. Yeah. No, no, no. Again, use good judgment in terms of what you want to share. So, okay. so on that, and again, it's just sort of expanding on that. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll move on to another topic. But at one point in the very early stages, you have different people who are helping you. Could be yeah. friends, yeah. volunteers. Even yesterday I was at, uh, we're looking at one of the local colleges has software engineers available and we're looking at bringing one in. Yeah. They're free for three months. And then we're thinking, well, what's, how does IP get owned? And so we're asking ourselves this. So, yes. And again, well, I, I'm in a corporate. We have sort of the resources yeah. to address this. But, you know, if you're a small founder and you think, okay, I'm going to get a volunteer in. I'm going to, so who owns the work product? And what should we, what should the founder, at least just at the basic level, make sure that, to make sure that they own whatever is, is out of that relationship, whether it's a contract or a volunteer, right. et cetera. So what should they do? No, that's a, that's yeah. a great question. Cause I think a lot of people don't understand in terms of a copyright, yeah. that's a personal thing, especially with software. That's the authors, mm -hmm. right? The author is that software developer. So you have so to that friend sure. who's doing the work that's for right. you, it's his. He or she's the author, yeah. right? And yeah. they have this funny little legal concept that we call moral rights. Yeah. And you think, what? Well, it's not morality. Mm -hmm. No, what they're talking about is the rights in terms of your ability to change things that they, that they wrote. Yeah. So I think the short answer to your question, Peter, is just make sure that before you sign up, even if it's your best friend, sure. it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Yeah. Make sure that they sign up an agreement which acknowledges that they are essentially a work for hire, mm -hmm. i.e. the work product they put out, whether they're an intern, a consultant, or an employee, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you want to own that, you make sure before they even touch a keyboard or listen in on your things, that they sign a, what's called an assignment of invention or, or technology. Of rights. Okay. So it's mm -hmm. of, of rights. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that way, again, it's not foolproof, but you have something on paper that demonstrates you both parties have given thought to it. And there's a clear line of ownership in terms of that work product, regardless if you paid for it or not. Yeah. Regardless mm -hmm. of their best friends or not. Mm -hmm. 
right? Those are things that I think is a fundamental feature because what happens is you go, okay, best friend just wrote that. It's a little piece. I plug it in and a year from now, it's the best app in the world. Yeah. Guess what? That best friend Almost probably has it. a right yeah. to a piece of that mm-hmm. unless he or she had agreed when they originally signed up that no, 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 I'm doing this for you as my friend or doing this for X amount of money or whatever consideration. And it's yours, not mine. Okay. That's great. That's great. So again, another question, sort of some of the mechanics, but so founders and share ownership, right? So when everyone starts up the big question, well, who's going to own what? Yeah. And say, what percentage? And I think that's an important question, but there's sort of a whole bunch of subtext there. And again, this is scenario, two or three founders, again, SaaS company, They've been at this venture for a year, some traction, products yep. ready and moving forward. But one of the founders burnt out. Yep. He or she's saying, I've had it. I'm leaving, but it's okay. I have my shares and you guys can keep working. So how should founders really, like at the earliest stages, when you're talking with your three, four friends, founders, what should you be thinking of in terms of that ownership and how do you make that work longer term? A little moniker I have is, yeah, it is tremendously easy for me to make you a shareholder in my company, yeah. Peter. I can sell you one of the shares of my company, mm-hmm. pick a number, yeah. thousands of a cent. Yeah. I can't, there's no legal instrument in law that allows me to take that away from to you. To give it back. To, yeah, yeah. Unless okay. there is a contract or an agreement otherwise. Okay. Yeah. So it's, so again, the moniker is really easy to make a shareholder, yeah. really hard to, to get rid of, to okay. get rid yeah, of a yeah. shareholder. So yeah. keep that in mind mm-hmm. when you're with your founders. Yeah. Okay. So the next aspect that I tell them people is, really smart, eager people. Nobody, none of my clients ever started saying, I'm going to get in a fight. Oh, but I absolutely. can tell you. Yeah, yeah, they all know each other at the and start. I'm going to right? tell you, I'm going to tell you, there is yeah. uh, the bulk of my clients mm-hmm. get in a fight. Yeah. So how do you stop that? And the mechanism that we usually have for, for shareholders, it's called a shareholders agreement. Okay. And I got to tell you, you got to get that shareholders agreement entered into before he or she becomes a shareholder. Okay. Right. So it's all plain. Can, it's yeah. clear. Okay, let's, all, yeah. let's make our conditions mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of how we're going to deal with each other in the event of certain circumstances mm-hmm. or how we make decisions as a group. Mm-hmm. That's what that shareholders agreement is designed to do. A good one. Yeah. A good one will, it, they cover really three or four aspects. Your ability to sell right? Or transfer the shares that are owned. Cause you know, you will get to your, pass it on yeah, to whoever we'll I give want you your scenario yeah, in a minute. Yeah. Cause you know, the three founders, they're founders cause they're great. They know how to work together yeah. and they are working. They, they like each other. Mm-hmm. Right. But what happens if one guy's one gal, guy or gal says, no, no, I'm out. I'm just going to transfer it over to my best friend. Yeah. And you can't get along. You, you got to have an instrument to stop that. Yeah. Right. That's a shareholder agreement addresses that. The other element is if that shareholder passes away, gets divorced, uh, becomes a dependent adult, again, shareholders agreement will deal with that Ooh, so yes. that you don't have to, yes. you don't have a partner that you don't know. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The third aspect of that is what you were just talking about in terms of saying, what's the three musketeers? Yeah. One for all. One for all for one. But me less so because I really like the beach in Hawaii yeah. and I'm going to take six months off while you guys just work your butts off, you know, I'm going to sit on the beach and I'm going to collect my dividend check. Thank you very much. So again, a shareholders agreement, a well-drafted one, will contemplate that. So typically you will have sort of a provision and, um, you know, there's many, many different ways to do it. But, you know, one example is to say you sort of set a milestone. So if there's any time where that person becomes either disabled, right? 
is no longer an officer or a director of the company or ceases to put in X amount of hours per week or things like that, yeah, the yeah. contribution, mm -hmm. then you're able to force the sale of that person's shares back to you. Okay. Typically at, pick a number, a fair market value, sure. less a discount. Yeah. Because it should be at a penalty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, the so, challenge is always, I mean, you know, yeah. you form your company at a million, let's say, yeah. and all of a sudden, a few years later, it's five. Well, the other two partners are going, well, I don't have the money to yeah, buy yeah. them out. So how yeah. do you, that's the sort of, yeah. they're at a dilemma. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So without that piece in there, mm -hmm. you have no other way. So if that person did want to go yeah. and lie on the beach for six months in Hawaii and say, I'll just take my dividend check. Without that shareholders agreement, without that provision to give you the right to buy that back, you're really at a loss. Yeah. You really have no other choices, right? Now, there's a lot of room for negotiation on what the terms are to say, what is it? What is it that enables me to force you to sell it? Yeah. You know, what are the, what, what are yeah. the you bars? You must be the working yeah, as what, long what are, work, yeah, yeah. There's no set law mm -hmm. for that. And that's to be negotiated. Yeah. But you got, you might as well do it up front, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to winning an argument. Because, it's a lot easier up front than it is in, well, yeah, in the, in yeah. the, when you're arguing. Yeah. I can tell well, you that. Well, the 50% of yeah. marriages end in divorce, corporate. I mean, you know, again, yeah. you might work with someone for a year and then you don't get along as well as you yeah. had before. So how do you deal with those situations? It's very important. Yeah. 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 So when you when you approach your lawyer and um, say, you know, I do have founders and I, we, we will have shares, I think it's very important for you to talk with your lawyer about, hey, you know what, I, I think it's important for us to have a shareholders agreement. And we should cover certain things. And one of these things that I'm concerned about is that kind of scenario. Yeah. And your lawyer should be able to help you develop a framework that you can negotiate and all your partners can agree to. to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's perfect. So, you know, I'd ask you a few questions, sure. I mean, on specifics that I had come up with, what other things should a founder be thinking of? I mean, again, in the early stages, what are some of the traps that you've seen out there that they should consider? My view is when they first start out, keep it as simple as possible in terms of your corporate structure, right? Don't get too lost in terms of, I, I quite often see startups, even well-heeled startups that have been successful, they get too complicated too quickly. Oh, I should have a share structure with eight different classes of shares and I should have a holding company down in the Bahamas and I should all do all those things. Oh, we can things. get a tax credit in Saskatchewan yeah, and do so all set up a you know, yeah, subsidiary. I really yeah, think as yeah. a startup company, what you want to do is have a company that's structured in a way that as simple as possible yeah. that meets your needs as opposed to too much because who knows what the future will bring in terms of venture capital funding, in terms of angel investment or anything like that. Yeah. It's going to change anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So another thing I think that people forget, or sorry, not forget, but maybe don't understand the importance of, it's your people. Again, yeah. it's your people. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about that, make sure that you put the time and effort into what you're going to do to retain that person and retain that knowledge if that person ever leaves. And we talked a little bit about that yeah. earlier, but that's a really important piece because in this world, particularly in this day and age, people come and go sure. way sure. easier than it was in my day. I'm aging myself yeah. now, but it's easy for people to come and go, get recruited, all those kinds of things. And that's a fact of life. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you have to suffer as a company. Find ways to protect the knowledge base and keep it within your company because you paid for it. Yeah. Through the con, yeah. yeah, that's great. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the Calgary ecosystem, the startup ecosystem. Sure. So platform they proposed to really a target to go from about 200 startups to a thousand startups by 2030. Yep. And there was a recent report come out produced by Startup Genome, which is you know 
they sort of map out ecosystems, see what works, what doesn't. And they identified two main issues that the city should be focusing on for the next couple of years. One was we need more startups and good ones. They need to be good startups. And we need to fund more of those startups. So there's sort of a bit of a chicken and egg there. But what are some of the things you see that need to be done to get more startups and to get more startups funded? Just a broad question. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling now because, you know, I think I, I was describing a little bit of my background before. Yeah. I mean, back in the, uh, the mid-90s in Calgary, I had started up a venture capital mutual fund, you know, $60 million in, yeah. uh, in the genes in terms of with a mandate to be investing in, in high-tech, biotech and technology companies, startup companies in Western Canada. And I'm, I'm smiling, Peter, because the difference between what the community was then, then okay, compared yeah. to now. Was there anything you could invest in back oh, then? Compared, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was like a desert. It was, and yeah. today what we're seeing and, you know, how we met through these, either these pitch competitions, through these different programs, these different funds, it is light years ahead. Yeah. And so there's, I'm just so excited for Calgary, right? So what do we need to see? Because what I'm saying is the, although we use that word ecosystem uh, really generally, in my mind, there's three fundamental things for this to be successful. You need access to cash. You need to have ready investors. And I'm talking about ready investors, not from Silicon Valley or from out east in New York or overseas, but here, local. Yeah. Local money committed to local development. I think that's critical. Yeah. Because when you have that local money as that startup, that attracts the, the offshore and cross-border type yeah. They see there's opportunities. Yeah. If there must be money being spent, exactly. there's more money. You kind of have to yeah. put your money where your mouth is, yeah. right? Yeah. Otherwise, I, I'll tell you what I see, and, and it was really hurtful, and it was, sorry, it really hurt me 10 years ago. You see great talent that left us. We had a brain drain, yeah. right? Because quite frankly, 10, 15 years ago, if you weren't putting money in a hole, right, to dig for oil and gas, yeah. it was really hard for you to raise money yeah. locally. Yeah. I'm starting to see that change, and that's really exciting. So- you have to have that local investor interest as your foundation to keep people here, all right? And I'm starting to see that in terms of, and I brought this little piece of paper here, that, you know, the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund. Yeah. Fantastic start. That's a great start, right? Because that's the money that people will need to access or tap into to stay local yeah. for Calgary, all right? The other part that I think is critical is support from successful mentors. And we're seeing, seeing that through the, you know, the A100 program, yep. successful mentors that have made it good here in Western Canada and in Calgary in particular, our startup community can lean on those people that have had successes and can share it yep. with others. And I'm starting to see that too. Yep. You, know, it's, you know, it's still, are we at critical mass yet? I don't think so, but I think we're going to get there. And I see that as a fundamental part in terms of Calgary being successful in developing its tech community. And finally, I really think that we do need support, not just from the entrepreneurs itself, but from a policy and a infrastructure type support, right? And we need that evangelization to the world. Yeah. So again, you know, what really excites me is I, I just saw Mary Moran speak on behalf of Calgary Economic Development, right? And that's a great example of an evangelization of our city telling the world what we're capable of, the support that we can provide, and the infrastructure that is that they can tap into, right? And that builds that community. So the more companies that come here, the more, I think, more critical mass, and when I say companies, I'm talking about tech companies, yeah. 
You know, there's mm-hmm. great examples. You know, finger food is coming yeah, now. Yeah. Intergen, Atabotics. You know, these are successful little startup companies that have come to Calgary to set up base and get that critical mass of people. And again, as I, we talked about before, people migrate. Yeah. But if they're here in Calgary, let's keep them here. And if they migrate, they're just migrating businesses, but they're here in, in Calgary, right? And that'll set up that community. And that'll, I think, help build up what we need in terms of a, a foundation to set up a successful tech community. Oh, that's great. So it is interesting. There's a lot going on. It is an exciting time to be in Calgary. Yeah, it's ir- ironic, isn't it? <laughs> you know, in yeah. terms of, it, it, I think it's a very tough, tough time mm-hmm. for the oil and gas industry. But as a result, I think the tech community is responding in yeah. a way that makes our city vibrant, viable yeah. from a technology perspective. So, so when, when you look at, and again, just you think of the small companies who are coming up and again, from a legal perspective, yeah. you know, they're looking at angels and they're getting ready. You've got all these graduates coming out yeah. of the accelerator. And now the next step is, okay, they're starting to get access to funding. So what are some of the challenges you see there? There are these small companies looking at what should the, the founders be thinking of to get access to that funding? What are some of the key points they should be considering? It's so hard for a startup because they're starved. One important critical thing, and that's money. They're starved of cash. And so when that is flashed in front of them, the ability or the discipline to be able to say, no, this isn't the right partner. There's different kinds of money. There's strategic money, which I think is the most valuable money. Because those are the guys that can help you accelerate with their money. Or is it the wrong kind of money, i.e. partners that don't have the same strategic vision as you or a different kind of exit strategy or a different kind of development plan? That's just heartache coming down the road, right? Um, So that's the first thing is pick the right partner. I know know money's on the table. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. But it's just, it's unbelievable how much that hurts you in the the long term. term. The second piece is, (laughs) and I see this quite often with my startups, it's... um, it is your right strategic partner, but that fund or that angel investor is the 800 pound gorilla. And they know what levers to pull in terms of ownership, control, governance, decision-making. So all of a sudden you as a founder really have been potentially, depending on that 800 pound gorilla, stripped of the freedom to operate that creativity that got you there, yeah. you're squashed. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I think it's important that you get the right professional advice, whether it's uh, an investment banker, whether it's a business development associate or a professional or a lawyer to help make sure that when you're negotiating that investment coming into your company, that you're comfortable with the nature of the decision-making process and the corporate governance that goes on, right? So yeah, you, you got to live with that partner forever, just like- you Correct, know, it's, yeah. right. And, and, you know, and again, on the flip side, because I can tell you, most venture capital funds and a lot of them, they're, they're, they have to deal with what's called founder syndrome, right? Because the founders want too much control, too much creativity, and they don't want to listen in terms of how to actually commercialize their, their, their technology. So that balancing act, you're, I think you're well served by finding the right professionals to help you respond correctly to how that balancing occurs. Great. 
Great. No, that's great. So, so if there's a founder, Soda, who needs, you know, who needs some legal advice or wants to know more about dentons, what, yeah. you know, what should they do, George? Okay. So thank you for this opportunity. I'm going to pitch a little bit in terms okay. of dentons. Yeah, yeah. As I said, we're a global law firm, but we're only that successful because we're so good at the lo- on the local level. Right. And one of the things that we've committed to here at Dentons is that emerging industry, that tech tech industry and understanding that we're very intimidating to a startup company. So we have programs where people come in and we develop a a structure for them so that the costs are not as intimidating and it's more of a partnership with them in terms of going hand in hand because we understand that when you're successful, we're going to be successful because hopefully we've served you in a way that we've now earned your loyalty and you're going to stick around. And that's when our investment in the company pays off. Come and chat with Denton. What we would normally do is have sort of an initial interview. We'll kind of do an audit of what your business is, what you have, where you're at, and then propose to you sort of what we think you should prioritize. And then we'll work out sort of a cost uh, evaluation and estimate so that you're comfortable with it moving forward. That's great. Again, you know, I'm the uh, co-lead of Calgary Office's Venture and Technology Practice Group. Oh, okay. And, you know, call us. There's always half an hour free for you guys to come and chat to see whether or not it's something we can help you with. And if it's not something we can help with, we'll refer you to somebody else. Great. Okay. No. So thanks for that. So yeah. George, for that, I want to say thanks for taking the time out of your day to come and come and talk with us. So thank you. Well, thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> thank you. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is sponsored by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story, and Capturing Legacies is here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com for more information. The audio for this episode was professionally edited by Kate Day with KD Sound Design. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.